Hello, and welcome to the second episode of the Classical Guitar Toolbox. Today I'm going to talk a little bit uh, more about what what's coming up in the podcast. You know, I sort of introduced the idea of a practice process in the last episode, or at least that I was researching practice over the course of my project in grad school. And now we're going to flesh out a little bit more of what to expect going forward and what this process is going to end up looking like. So I'm going to start by saying that this process is designed to provide a guitarist with suggested goals for their practice sessions and a process to achieve those goals. This process attempts at every step to explain the goals of each step of the process, why they fit into the part of the process that they're in, and the tools to achieve those goals. One of the objectives of this practice process is to illuminate as much as possible about the musical aspects of a new piece and to make as many interpretive musical decisions as possible before addressing physical or technical aspects of the piece's performance on the instrument. The process then attempts to provide different tools such as visualization or singing, rhythmic practice, slow practice, memorization exercises to achieve on the guitar the musical, interpretive, and expressive decisions determined in the earlier parts of the process. The ultimate goal of this process is to increase the speed of the learning process by quickly and effectively making interpretive musical assessments of a piece through analytical tools and score analysis methods that allow one to hear and understand the music before playing the instrument as much as possible. The process then takes the reader through stages of actually physically learning a piece using practice tools from a variety of sources that are outlined in the bibliography. Sources used for this project include guitar teachers I've taken lessons with, videos of guitarists talking about their practice process, and method books that discuss how to practice. A key goal of this process is to determine musical goals and how to achieve those goals in the beginning of the process as quickly as possible before touching the instrument. An additional purpose of this practice method is to help with memorization by giving the brain more information to associate with for each piece a performer is working on. There are several examples provided in this document of guitarists claiming that when playing from memory, especially during a memory slip, they have other associations that help them recall music from their practice sessions. It's easier to remember a measure of music as a chord shape, for example, of open C, or the finger pattern of a G Lydian scale, or a 2-5-1 chord progression, than it is to remember the notes in the measure individually. Often, novice guitarists spend so much time trying to remember the notes from the score in their proper order that they miss the larger scale or chord patterns they imply, or the exercises they have done that match or are similar to what is in the music. It is easy to try to memorize every note of a passage and miss completely that it is a scale one has played several times before. Another example of aiding memorization with multiple types of information from the score is seen in the habit of many professional performers who learn to sing a piece they are working on. When you learn to sing a piece, your inner ear often guides your hands when performing because you have associated the sounds with physical actions. The ability to trigger memories of physical motions by associating them with another body sensation is similar to the triggering of normal memories from everyday life. A smell can trigger visual and auditory memories of a Thanksgiving dinner, for example. 
This ability of the brain to reinforce memories through remembering multiple aspects of the thing being remembered is a potential tool when learning music. The more ways we learn or examine the score, the easier it is to remember. Another element of this process is to break the act of practicing down into individual problems. Too often teachers prescribe time spent practicing as the fix to all problems. If you can't play it, practice more, is often the common advice. Alternatively, it is often said that focused practice is more beneficial. It is the assertion of this blog and podcast that, the pra- that practice can and should be the act of identifying and solving physical technical problems of playing the instrument that allow a performer to express their interpretation and or analysis as clearly and easily as possible. This blog and podcast goal is to create a guide for how one might practice more effectively by, by defining what focused practice actually means. In order to practice effectively, one must be able to develop musical goals and find ways to execute those goals on the instrument. A player must also be able to identify problems in each passage preventing the execution of musical goals and then create specific solutions for those problems. It can't be overstated how important it is to think of technical decisions as resulting from previously determined musical decisions, although performers' perspective on interpretation may evolve as they spend time physically playing a piece. Technique serves the music. It is not an end unto itself. An example in guitar is left-hand fingering. A single note on the guitar can often be played on different strings and at different positions on the neck, yielding different qualities of tone and vibrato at each location. While the location of the note is to some degree a purely technical decision, the reason to choose one location over another is also and primarily a musical one. To pick the fingering that is easiest, most familiar, or written by an editor may be technically sound but musically inappropriate compared to other available options. Sound technical decisions are easiest to make when a performer has a concept of sound for a work in their mind. Concept of sound means a performer has some sense, ranging from partial to complete, of how they want the piece of music to sound when it has been practiced and at performance level. Many novice and amateurs do not know how a piece is supposed to sound, or have not been taught how to develop a piece's concept of sound before practicing the piece on the instrument. This partly explains the slow progress of beginners. If a performer does not know what a piece is supposed to sound like, does not know how to make decisions that create what they think it's supposed to sound like, they usually struggle to know what to listen for while practicing or what to fix, which makes sense. If you don't know what to listen for, how do you know when there's a problem? The performer must learn how to develop a concept of sound for each piece and then how to listen to themselves intently to make sure that the physical motions and technical decisions that they choose to make yield the desired sound. This idea of a preconceived final sound probably explains why so many great musicians started by transcribing or imitating recordings by other great musicians, doing so by ear. They learned what the music could sound like by listening intently and meticulously to other great players and then matching that. To quote Pepe Romero in his method, one starts by hearing the appropriate sound inside the mind, and, while the body recalls the physical sensation of the sound, the hands automatically go to the necessary place and make the necessary movements. As the student advances and gains more experience, 
Elements of this process may and should be adjusted as the user of this practice process discovers what works better for them. A student's first piece or pieces should follow this practice method closely. After those initial pieces are learned well using this process, the student can consider themselves ready to create their own process. The student risks not knowing what tools from this system work for them and what tools do not work if they do not try everything and give, give it enough time to truly determine the value of different ways of practicing that are presented. I think many teachers are afraid to offer students their practicing process in an organized format because they fear they are imposing their perspective or process on their students. Often teachers also fear that because there are so many different problems to be solved in each piece, generalizing the practice process is either not beneficial or perhaps even harmful. Many musicians seem also to be unaware that they have a process because their process is so internalized that it is subconscious. There also appears to be a culture within music that describes talent or time spent practicing as the solution to many of the problems faced by all musicians when the solutions actually come from how the performer identified problems and solved those problems while they were practicing. The goal of this document is to at least make an attempt at making the practice process more organized, rigorous, and clear. Musicians also let the culture of music as an art prevent the community from viewing music as a trade like engineering or welding that has skills that can be more methodically taught. And I sometimes wonder if this is some sort of holdover from the 19th century attitudes about art and artists. There is also a valid argument that what works for one musician may not work for another. These attitudes, however, create a reluctance of many musicians to systematize the practice process. While individuals often have unique uh, health circumstances, doctors are often able to prescribe the same treatment to many patients with routine problems. This document hopes to demonstrate that the same attitude can be taken with practicing. Yes, sometimes the cause of a headache is not something that can be treated by Advil, but doctors do not avoid trying generic solutions just because their patients are individual postmodern snowflakes. Musicians and academia take postmodernism too seriously, in my opinion, and it inhibits pedagogy. To say that some of my students learn better visually, and some learn by listening better, and some by touch or physical sense, therefore I will provide them with very little or nothing and let them figure it out for themselves, is, to me, a huge flaw in the culture of postmodern education. As an instructor, I should have options and tools that all three learners can utilize, provide them with those tools, and then let them decide what works for them while guiding them through that process. To give them nothing is inefficient and a disservice. The point of this practice process is to help teach students how to think in the practice room. Too often, lessons are set up as follows. Student practices, and then the student comes to a lesson, and the teacher offers feedback, and the student is expected to draw broad principles from the teacher's feedback. This process is an that I'm outlining here is an effort to teach a man to fish instead of identifying problems after the fact. I want the teaching and learning process to become proactive, not reactive. Feel the need to, wor to say a word about analysis and music theory as it is a key component of this method and can be sometimes kind of controversial when people consider it in the context of learning music and practicing. 
Analysis of a piece of music is done in many college music theory courses and is often frowned upon by musicians. It is even sometimes viewed to be impractical. Some fear that analysis of the music gets in the way of, intuitive art, of the intuitive artistic process of music. However, it's my contention that all great performers analyze their music in some way. If we define analysis as simply the act of identifying auditory patterns in the score and making determinations on phrasing, articulation, and technique to articulate those patterns, all players do this on some level. If the music is to sound organized at all, the musician has to have gone through some mental process of creating some sense of organization or finding some organization in the music. The reason performers believe they don't analyze music, in my opinion, is because often the way that they do it and what their process of analyzing looks like is very different from what we think of when we hear the word analysis and think about it in the context of a typical music theory course. Performers may internalize their analysis using their ear and their voice instead of doing so in writing or with the scale and chord vocabulary from music theory. While music theory often focuses on scale and harmonic analysis because it can be done on paper in the classroom and can be graded, performers may tend to focus more on rhythm in order to create articulation and phrasing. I'm skeptical of any musician who says they do not analyze a piece, but I think it's fair to say that each musician might analyze in different ways. One goal of this practice process is to demonstrate that music theory and analysis can be applied in ways that are more practical than simply writing Roman numerals for harmony under the staff. It can't be overemphasized that this process is not meant to determine how anyone practices for the rest of their life. It is a guide for how to approach a piece for a student on any level who believes their practice time could be more effective. Readers of this document can and should modify it to suit themselves after they have attempted all the tools offered in this system. This process is informed by my own practice experiences, observations of difficulties my students have had, tips from multiple eras of method books from Soar to Isnola, information from non-guitarists, and my own lessons and experiences with the following guitarists, Christopher Katchen, Andrew Zone, Rene Izquierdo, Robert Sharp, Jeff Tigeson, Jeffrey Van, and I also drew on a host of videos I've watched by great guitarists who at times have provided examples of how they develop or work up a piece of music. Please see the forest of the trees. It's rarely about how many times you do a particular exercise or what type of exercise you do. For example, whether you choose to sing and play the melody on another instrument, on its own on the guitar, or while playing all the parts together, is less important than committing to being able to sing the melodic line because doing so reinforces your memory. And that's the end of episode two for today. Um, again, there's going to be plenty more episodes on the way. I'm still working on how to end the podcast. I was kind of just reading my script and then hit the end and went, oh, how do I wrap this up? So I guess the main thing I like to do is say that um, if anybody ends up listening to this, that I appreciate your time, and I hope that as we go forward, um, this this preparation of outlining what the podcast is about and what to expect, um, I hope that aids in the learning and understanding of the practice process that I'm going to be presenting. And I hope as you continue to listen, you find value about it, value in it. And I thank you for your time. <laughs>